slow us down indeed, Lord. As of this past Tuesday at 11.24 p.m. Central Standard Time, summer officially began. It's a season to take a deep breath, an invitation to take a deep breath, a little time for more imagination, a little more time for the outdoors. June has been an active month around Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church. It's been three and a half weeks since our local schools got out. We have jam-packed a camp in here every single week since then. We have sent young people to Colorado. Even the first term of summer school is already done for kids that didn't get enough from August through May. And now, now, for the month of July, we take a deep breath, and the dog days of summer have begun. Do you know this phrase, the dog days of summer? It's a curious turn of phrase. What does it mean, the dog days of summer? I always thought it meant that, ah, it's when it gets so hot out that dogs just lie on the pavement and pant. (sighs) Kind of like humans. We run around for the other 10 or 11 months of the year, and maybe July is just the time to find a good place to lie down and pant. And then I had this bad thought. Maybe it's the season where dogs go crazy because it's so hot and the days are so long and they have so much, oh, maybe extra frenetic energy that they just freak out. Oh, that would be bad, wouldn't it? If that's what the dog days of summer are. In fact, the original meaning of the dog days of summer is that this sultry part of the year from late June to early August in particular coincides with a period that the brightest star in the sky, Sirius, its old name is the dog star, the dog days of summer coincide when the dog star rises in the eastern sky with the sun, roughly simultaneously, concurrently, during this season. So it has nothing to do with panting. It has nothing to do with freaking out. But it has to do with uh, this bright star rising with the sun. The meaning is lost on us, but the phrase lives on. Now, we're about to enter a five-week series here in worship called The Dog Days for two reasons. Number one, during our dog days, Lord willing, it is time to recalibrate and take a couple deep breaths. But it is never the right season for spiritual laziness or energy. God is inviting us, maybe in the season of less work and vocational craziness, to be more intentional about the relationship and practices that matter most. And secondly, there is a character in the Old Testament whose name means the dog. And he is going to be the main character in the next five weeks of worship. Hence, the dog days of summer. So to start this, we are going to turn back to Numbers chapter 13, to that time just after the people of Israel had been rescued from slavery in Egypt. With Moses, God had parted the waters of the Red Sea and brought his people across to freedom. They trekked through the deserts of the Sinai Peninsula for months, and now their feet were standing at the edge of the promised land, the land God promised to their forefather Abraham, poised to claim their promised inheritance. 
This is before the 40 years of wandering, okay? Everybody's still in a really good mood. Here is what God said to his people. They're on the cusp of freedom. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to my people, the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Now, God had promised them the land of Canaan, but God is asking for their cooperation. There is some exploring to do. There are some adventures to have. There are some questions to ask and answer. And probably because this is in the book of Numbers, which loves to name everybody and count everybody, hence the book of Numbers, we get the names of the guys who are about to get commissioned to go spy out the land. These are the 12. These are their names, say the scriptures. There's some great names in here. Shamua, not Shamwau. Not Shamu, Shamwa, Shaphat, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Egal, Hoshea, the son of Nun, Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Amiel, Sether, Navi, and Gawel. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land, but Moses gave Hoshea, the son of Nun, the name Joshua. Now that name means the Lord saves. Moses gives this special name to his right-hand man, one of the 12, Hoshea, Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus. Like, they're the same name. The Lord saves. It's an interesting assortment of names, right? How many, how many gaddies are there here today? Any Peltis? No? Nobbies? Only two of these names are familiar to us, correct? Caleb, Joshua. There are young men, boys in this congregation that bear these very names. Remember this, please, that two of these names carry on and are memorable. This will come to bear later. But here are their directions, their marching orders that they received from Moses from God. See what the land is like, you spies. And whether the people there who live there are strong or weak, few or many, what kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or fortified? And how's the soil? This is a very important farming question. How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? So they went up and explored the land, and at the end of 40 days, the spies returned. I love the fact that God gave them a list of questions, a whole arm length long. I mean, God gave them the promised land, but God didn't say, hey, you know what? I've already cleared the way. It's like totally empty and open for you. Just like walk in. It's going to be the easiest thing ever. Following God's path for you, for our church, for the people of God in the big picture is never like that. God is always inviting exploration and questions and adventure and work and collaboration on our part to do the will of God in the world. God is asking for their active engagement. Now, during these 40 days that the 12 spies are in the promised land, no doubt the rest of the people, there's a few million of them, they are waiting What's going on? What do you think the land is like? There are no emails. There's no Facebook Live. No one is texting back and forth to give uh, daily, no hourly updates. 
They had to wait the entire 40 days for a report. What was their new home going to be like? What were the people there going to be like? Were they going to throw out a welcome mat for them? Maybe a fruit basket and some cheeses? We're so glad you're here, people of God. The promised land is waiting for you. We got the message ahead of time. Maybe even a red carpet. Come on in. Stay a while. Forty days later, everyone is tingling with anticipation. What is going on? Here is what the 12 spies reported. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, and here is its fruit. But, and this is a really, it's a big but. But the people who live there are powerful, and their cities are fortified and so very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. These 12 spies can agree on two things. I imagine they came back to the people and Moses and said, would you like the bad news or the good news first? The right answer to that question is always the bad news, right? Isn't it? I mean, when I was four years old, I wanted the good news first, but then you grow up and you're like, give me the bad news first. They give them the good news first. Never goes well this way. You remember what's last. So the good news is, the land is flowing with milk and honey. There's incredible produce. I mean, the Bible says they came back carrying giant logs, timbers, laden with the fruit and the produce of the land, bigger grapes than anybody had ever seen. I mean, these people have been in the desert eating manna, and now there's fresh fruit and vegetables. I mean, the people who are cooks and chefs are like, yes, this is what I'm talking about. It's the promised land, good eating forever and ever. Milk and honey are the symbols of this. And by the way, if you're a coffee drinker, this is just a personal recommendation. This isn't in the Bible. The best coffee drink under the sun is the Cafe Miel. Coffee, milk, and honey. Totally biblical. Land flowing with milk and honey. <laughs> it's a great way to start the day. Am I right about this? Anybody? Come on. Okay. So that's the good news. It's a great land, the promised land. Here's the bad news. There are enemies beyond number. And not only enemies, check that, there are the descendants of Anak who are huge, tall, six foot six to seven foot six tall giants. There are giants in the land eating all the milk and honey and everything else. Giants, way too many. Which do you think the people of Israel are going to notice and remember? Milk and honey or giants? So when anything goes to the Supreme Court or goes through the com a committee, there's always like a majority report and a minority report because rarely does everybody agree and just share a report. Can I get an amen? <laughs> All right. So the majority report is going to emphasize there are giants and enemies without number and we should be terrified and fearful. That's the majority report. Be afraid. Be very afraid. The minority report is going to emphasize the good land and God's solid promises which cannot be revoked no matter what's in the way. 
The minority report is given by just two of the 12, Caleb and Joshua. Here's what Caleb says. Caleb silenced the people before Moses because they were no doubt freaking out. And then he said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we certainly can do it. I like to think he offered those words just steely and energetically and serious. I mean, like Clint Eastwood at his best. We should go up. He is trying to rally the people's faith in God. Caleb has this young, raw faith, this youthful, passionate energy. Now, Joshua is Moses' right-hand man. He is the leadership heir apparent. He is the ultimate insider. He has the best name in all of Israel. The Lord saves. But Caleb, who is this Caleb guy? We're going to get to know him over the next five weeks. But the word Caleb means the dog. Not as in, hey dog, yo dog, but as in, this guy is not even a second class dude, he's a dog, an outsider. But these two, Joshua and Caleb, the insider and the outsider, the right hand man and the dog, they are in perfect agreement in arguing for action. But God does not give them a 10 step plan. Or a five-year plan. He gives them a long list of questions to answer. What's the land like? Who's there? What's the soil like? Are there trees? And then he gives them the direction. Go and take this land. And that is supposed to be enough for the people of God. Good questions, faith, and the promise of God. There's an old Christian cliche that runs like this. Where God guides, he provides. Have you heard this before? I'll do the first half, you do the second half. Where God guides, he provides. This could be a sermon in and of itself. Where God guides, he provides. Right on. Joshua and Caleb have the kind of faith that doesn't giggle at this sort of notion, but goes for it. This might be a little hokey or cliche, but that does not make it less real or true. Where God guides, right on. So the people are about to face a battle between fear of the giants or faith that they can do what God has told them they ought to do. Fear always makes people freeze. I mean, freeze has a, fear has a paralyzing power. When you get really scared, you just like, you clam up and you clench up and you don't do anything, right? I mean, if you're really scared, you just stay in bed. But faith, on the other hand, faith is the ultimate action word. Real faith in God is always doing something, pushing forward, kicking the boundaries, pushing on the promises of God to see if God is really going to come through or not. Faith always does something. Love always does something. They're action words. If you want to have the worst summer ever, just stay at home and do nothing. 
Don't get me wrong. Spend a little time on your back porch or whatever you have, sipping a lemonade and swinging in a hammock. Like, relax. But relaxing and recalibrating and experiencing Sabbath is not incompatible with having the desire and taking steps forward to live into God's promises. Just as the fresh wind of faith and love start flowing through Joshua and Caleb, reality sets back in, and the majority report of the other ten spies is restated. Here's how it goes. The men who had gone up with Caleb said, Yeah, but we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report. A bad report about the land they had explored. They said, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we must have looked the same to them. Because of the majority report... The people of God are defeated before they've already begun. I mean, imagine if you had a basketball team and the coach told them before the game, hey guys, we're way shorter than they are. We're way slower than they are. In fact, you all look like grasshoppers to me compared to them. So let's not even play. I mean, this is in essence what is going on with God's people. Let's not do it. I mean, there was a scheduled game today. We were scheduled to go into the promised land right now, but it is just too scary. The people are too big. We're tiny. We'll just pretend that this was never supposed to happen. Which report do you think the Israelites went with? The courageous minority report from those two crazy young men, Caleb and Joshua, with this raw faith or the fear-based report of the ten. I mean, fear is so powerful. Who of the 12 spies do we remember sitting here more than 3,000 years later? Which two names have come through the halls of history down to us? The two guys who believed in the promise of God. We still name our sons Caleb. We still name our sons Joshua all these years later for a good reason. Faith endures and fear like ashes in the wind. Fear accomplishes nothing. As a church... As the worldwide church in the year 2017, I think it's not an overstatement to say that we, as the body of Christ here on planet Earth in 2017, we face some massive giants at this period of history. As our little local congregation in the great city of Chicago, we face some pretty serious giants these days. We don't live in the most spiritually hospitable environment these days. The rest of the country no longer rolls out the red carpet for us. Hey, come on in. You guys have a seat at the table. In 
in shaping and teaching and training our children, what we have to offer as parents, as a church, even as Christian schools, if your family has discerned that's the way your family's going to run, those influence and voices, man, they're hard to hear above the din of what is out there. not trying to scare you too bad because I don't believe in this fear stuff. <laughs> but I'm just saying, there's some giants out there. I mean, we are in the middle of a communications revolution, the equivalent of the invention of the printing press. We as the church have not necessarily been on the front end of this invention. The world is changing. We're having a cultural garage sale, and there's no game plan. What's the church going to look like in 50 years? How are we going to navigate this? I mean... The kids growing up in our church have known no other world than the digital world, and there's a bunch of old people like me who are trying to, like, serve you and pastor this thing. Like, how are we going to do this? Totally don't have answers. (laughs) How is Israel going to take the promised land? What's the battle plan? No answers. Questions and raw faith and belief in the promises of God. Now, God has made, I think, some awesome promises, I mean, to the church as a whole, to this congregation. I will name just a couple of them. There may be a handful I could name. Here's two. One is Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church. If you follow me and are committed to being as generous as I created you to be, life will be good in your community. I believe that 80 years of our congregation testify to that promise and that blessing over this community. Let us not stop being generous. Another promise that God has put into this community, I think, is this. If you turn your eyes to the children, my spirit will go ahead of you. For the 80 years of this congregation... This place has been committed to reaching out to the youngest of kids, to grade school kids. I mean, this church started in a woman's living room in Bellwood, picking up kids for Sunday school. Like, if we refuse to stop doing that, if we keep our eyes on the children, I believe 100% God's spirit will continue to go in front of us. It doesn't mean there's not going to be battles to fight or enemies to stare down, but if we cling to those particular promises, life is going to be awesome here. So it's the dog days of summer. I just became our lead pastor in this last month. I don't feel like this is a time for me personally to be like, hey, you know what? I should take it easy for a while. (laughs) That would be unwise. (laughs) I'm facing this new role and this new responsibility. I'm still a little trembly over it. Uh, But I believe... um, in being invited to serve with you and to serve you in this new role, God is making some particular promises to me 
And maybe God has made promises to you or is asking you to do something very personal that in this moment this morning, you can put your arms around it and bring some raw faith to clinging to the promise of God. I believe God has invited me, said something to me like, hey, Greg, for this season, I want you to be a part of leading this beautiful, unruly congregation. God has not given me a 10-step plan. He's not given us a very precise five-year plan as yet. If we write the, ask the right questions moving forward, we may end up with some more particular marching orders. But here's what I know. I want to help lead this congregation to ask the good and the necessary questions that the Lord himself has put before us. How do we reach the next generation of kids? How do we navigate culture in such a way that when we speak the gospel, it's countercultural and compelling and inviting and, yes, a little crazy? How do we become even more generous with our talents, with our music, with our time, with our dollars and cents, too? How do we become even more generous and pave the way for the Holy Spirit to go before us? I think I know a handful of the right questions, and I want to be so persistent in pursuing these questions because with the right questions and faith and knowing the promises of God, where God guides... To help us ask the right questions, uh, a bunch of folks around our church are beginning a little reading project. Our staff has started this. Our elders are about to start on it. Our senior leadership team is about to start on it. It's a book. Can you see how bright green this cover is? It's called Growing Young. And the point of getting people to read this book is simply to faithfully ask the good questions and start the conversation so that we can live into the promises of God in a more wide-open, open-armed sort of way. If you want to join the exercise, Amazon.com, 10 bucks. I'm committed to asking the questions. I'm committed to clinging to my marching orders. Go into all the world and make disciples, especially young ones here. And with your help, with all of us in that together, 100% confident by God's grace, we are going to figure it out. And we are going to live into some incredible, promised land of a future. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean there's not going to be giants. Doesn't mean we're not going to be like battle scarred and wounded and bloodied along the way. Totally. But there is a promised land of a great future for this church. Will you join me in this? I mean, is there any part of you that hears the story and is like, oh God, don't make us like the Israelites? Don't make us a shamuah. Don't make us scared. Make us like Caleb and Joshua. Because where God guides, it's almost as if you believe it. Where God guides, 
Right on. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your word, even though it is ancient and obscure in some ways, it is full of the reality that we need, an alternative reality from what we read and see in front of our eyeballs every day. God, give us a raw faith that remembers your promises, the big ones and the ones that you have made into our own little lives. And give us the kind of hands and feet that are eager to act and a heart full of courage. And God, by your grace, as we seek to be better imitators of Christ, help us as a church to be unified in pursuing the good questions you have before us and in reaching out to a world that needs you increasingly. In Jesus' name, and everybody said...